Please open your Bibles to John chapter 13. Continuing on in our study through the Gospel of John, uh, at this point in our study, Jesus is now back in Jerusalem. The prophecy of Zechariah has been fulfilled. Jesus came into the city um, as the just king, lowly and riding on a donkey. The people greeted him by waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. The feast of Passovers was coming and Jesus' hour had now come. His purpose for coming to the earth was about to be played out. In verse 1 of chapter 13 here says, Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world and to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, as we have uh, talked about in previous studies, this word loved here in, in this verse uh, 1 here is the word agapeo. And it speaks of an unchanging and unconditional kind of love. With the time that Jesus had in, in the flesh here on this earth, he never gave up on love. He loved the people of this sinful world all the way up through his death. He showed love in the way that he walked and in the way that he talked. But he took love as far as humanly possible in that he died on the cross for the sin of this world, because he loved the world that much. He loved us that much. You know, not long from now, where we are here in our study of the Gospel of John, not long from this point, Jesus will, will make a statement in which he says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. But before that time comes, there are still some things left for Jesus to do. And verse 2 goes on and says, And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, let's go ahead and pause here on this verse for a few minutes. Let me ask a question. Can the devil put things into the hearts of people? Well, the obvious answer from God's word right here in verse 2 is yes. And he even put things in the hearts of people that appeared to be or claimed to be his followers, like Judas. But don't make the mistake of trusting in people, no matter who they are or what they claim to be. You are to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We are to trust only in Jesus Christ. Do not put a man or a woman on a pedestal in a position where you look unto them or you trust in any way, shape, or form in them. Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9. I quote this, these verses quite, quite often. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. So no matter a person's stature, no matter their position, trust in the Lord. Because people will let you down. Just like we see here, Judas was a follower of Jesus Christ. But Satan put something in his heart. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Go ahead and keep this page marked. 
It's First uh, John chapter two is is toward the back of your Bible. It's just after the book of Second Peter, and it's right before the book of Second John. Okay, so First John chapter two, and we're going to look at verses fifteen through seventeen. It says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world." If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, the Lord does not want us loving the things of this world, because every human being is susceptible to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But you see, people that give in to these things are not of the Father, but are of the world. But the Bible also refers to wolves in sheep clothing, people that appear to be of the Father, but they really have a completely different agenda. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll look at that. Matthew chapter 7, Matthew is the first book in your New Testament. You'll find it right before the Gospel of Mark. So go ahead and flip back to John, and then turn back to to Matthew. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, verses 13 through 20. So Matthew Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Do you remember in our last study, we discussed that, how it's hard to walk by faith. It's much easier to walk by sight. So the majority of people choose to just walk by sight, loving the world, being committed to this world, rather than loving the Lord and being committed to Him. Because like Jesus says here in verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So there are far more people in this world that are following in the ways of the world and are not following in the ways of the Lord. But you know, that's not God's choice. That's the choice of men and women. That's our choice. But you know, people love the world and they love its darkness and they don't want to leave it behind. So I had a, I had a young man ask me recently, why doesn't, why do some people not believe in the Lord? How can you not believe in them was his question. Well, people love darkness. They don't want to commit to Jesus Christ because their sin is exposed. They get convicted within their heart and they realize they they need to repent. And it's easier to walk in the ways of the world than it is to walk in the ways of the Word of God. But continuing on here in verse 15 of Matthew, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. There are many people 
that are even standing in the pulpit of churches and sitting in the pews that are not born again of the Spirit of God. They have ulterior motives or or they're building their own kingdom, whatever it may be, and they're just fleecing the flock, trying to get the money so that they can do what they want to do, create their own little nice little social clubs or whatever it may be. They're operating in either the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. Uh, They take the proceeds of the ministry and they build their own kingdoms with it. And they don't really care about the flock, but you can see it. You can, you can know these people. A, a tree is known by its fruit. If, if people don't genuinely love people and they're in a position as a pastor or a leader, then they're in it for some other reason. If they don't have a genuine love, if they're not reaching out with compassion and love to people and, and they're, they're unapproachable, then you might want to take a look at them because we do need to be fruit inspectors. We are foolish to just blindly trust in men and women because there is only one that has proven himself trustworthy. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have no problem telling you not to trust in what even I teach you. Because if I'm not pointing you to the Word of God, if you're not reading it yourself and understanding it yourself, then you're following a man. And don't do that. Don't follow any man or any woman. Look unto Jesus. He, by His Holy Spirit, indwells you when you surrender your life to Him, and you can know the voice of the Lord on your own. Okay, verse 16, let's keep going here. You will know them, how? By their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear Good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Okay? So, like I said, don't believe anyone that tells you or gives you the impression that they are the pastor. And and you need to do what they say. And you need to trust in them. And you need to submit to them and all that. No. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We studied that last week. Trust in Him. You have a personal relationship with the God of all creation who became flesh. And by His Holy Spirit, He indwells you. Inspect the fruit of a person that claims to be a Christian. But in so doing, be sure that you yourself are not a hypocrite. Let's look at something else that Jesus said in regards to that. Let's look at... um, um, Matthew chapter 7, we'll stay right here, but let's look back at verses, uh, we'll, we'll start reading, in, let's just go back and start reading in verse 1. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with what, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye 
and look, a plank is in your own eye. You see, it's sometimes as if we see that tiny little piece of sawdust in someone else's eye, and yet we have this 10-foot, two-by-six plank sticking out of our own eye. And as we turn our heads and look all around, we're just knocking people upside the head with it and knocking them down. This is what Jesus calls here in verse 5, a hypocrite. He says, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, we are to be our brother and sister's keeper, but we are to first be sure that we ourselves are abiding in Jesus Christ and have not get caught up in, in following man or following a philosophy or following a, a pattern of ministry or, or some, some other way. We need to look unto Jesus, and that's it. And when Jesus speaks here in chapter 7 of Matthew about wolves and sheep clothing, these are people that are not truly brothers and sisters in Christ. And these people we will know by their fruit. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. People will be known by their fruit. That's not a scripture, what I just quoted, but it's it's a good principle. Turn up a couple of chapters. Let's look at Matthew chapter 10. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is speaking here in this chapter to his disciples. And he says, uh, looking down at verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, let me stress something here again. A follower of Jesus Christ is a person that has repented of their sin and has turned to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You see, Jesus is the Savior of the world, but we have to choose to turn to Him as such and give Him the reins, if you will, or complete control of our lives. This is what makes us disciples or followers of Jesus. A disciple is not a person that continues to live their lives as if they are in control and, and Jesus is their co-pilot. A disciple is a person that can say, as Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it, it's Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live how? He said he lives by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, and that's where our faith needs to be, completely in Jesus. So many people have left churches saying there's too many hypocrites there. So many people have been disappointed by, by men and women in the pulpits. But that reveals a problem right off the bat. Who are they looking to? They're looking someplace they should not be looking. There is no man on this earth, there is no other name, let me put it that way, given under heaven, whereby we must be saved. You see, we can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and we do not need to go through any other man. You see, before we can be dead to, to sin and alive to Jesus Christ, 
We must die to ourselves and live unto him. Let's go ahead and uh, turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians is in the New Testament here, to the right of where we are now. If you find 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, then you'll find Galatians. If you hit Ephesians, you've gone too far. And we're going to look at Galatians chapter 6. Let's read verse... 14. It says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, the Apostle Paul here understood that his own righteousness amounted to absolutely nothing. And he states here that he is dead to this world and that this world is dead to him because he has placed his faith in Jesus Christ. He has put Jesus Christ above himself and above all else. Another famous verse of scripture written by uh, the apostle Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. So to live is Christ. Hey, if I'm going to live at all, it's, it's got to be all about Jesus. And when I die, that's going to be gain to me because I'm going to be absent from the body. I'm going to be present with the Lord. But let's look at another uh, passage of Scripture that speaks to this same thing. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. It's two books to the right of Galatians where we are. So if you're in Galatians, turn to the back, toward the back of your Bible, not at the back of your Bible, but just a couple books to the right of where we are here in Galatians. Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses uh, 7 through 14. So we'll start in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, these verses here that I just read describe a person that is sold out to Jesus Christ. They are a true follower of Jesus Christ and they will be known by the fruit that their lives 
produce. If they are a people that are going out and about and tearing others down and, and, and picking on others and, and tearing up things, then you can know that it's quite possible that they are wolves in sheep clothing or at least they're a little bit off track. So, unfortunately, it is unfortunate, actually, that Christianity is littered with many people that are nothing more than hypocrites. And turning back now to John chapter 13, Judas, who was a thief, now has evil within his heart and will soon betray Jesus. But this comes as no surprise to Jesus. And it says in verses 3 and 4, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. I want to stop right there. You see, Jesus knew what his purpose was, and he used his time here to teach his disciples, and ultimately he teaches you and me how we should live our lives. And starting in verse 5 again, uh, he'll give them example. It says, After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So you see, Peter here shows a great reverence for the Lord Jesus. He cannot accept the fact that someone he esteems so highly that he calls Lord would stoop and wash his feet. But when and, and that's what he means when he says, you shall never wash my feet. He's not being disrespectful, but he's being rather highly respectful. And once Jesus says to him, though, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me, Peter then expresses he wants all that Jesus has to offer. Just give me it all then, Lord. And we should follow that example and surrender all that we are and all that we have to Jesus Christ. And there in verse 8, Jesus, when he says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. This still holds true today. You see, we must come to Jesus and be washed from the filth of this world and from our sinfulness. And once he has washed us, we have part with him. In other words, we have fellowship with him and with God the Father because of the cleansing that his precious blood offered us when he died on that cross. It's not religion that makes us clean. It's not good deeds that make us clean. It's not submitting to the will of man and, and all of these different laws and rules and regulations. What is it that makes us clean? What is it that can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And in these verses, we see that the king 
became a servant. Our Lord became a servant. That's what he was showing the disciples, and that's how we should live as well. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You see, Jesus is our greatest example of this. And if we claim to have Christ in us, if we claim to be Christians, then we too must walk in the way that he walked. We must follow this example. Or otherwise, we will be considered a hypocrite because we say one thing and do something completely different. Jesus said to him in verse 10, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Now, let's expound on this verse here, okay? The word bathed there uh, in verse 10 here is the Greek word lau, and its literal meaning speaks of the the washing of a dead person person or the cleaning out of a wound that's what that word bathed means there let's remember here that Jesus and his disciples have gathered in one place to have supper together okay they they went to this place how they get there they they didn't take the bus they didn't drive a car they walked okay and before they went I'm sure they already had bathed. But once they got there, since they wore sandals, their feet was dirty, right? The Jews were very big on the idea of purification, and they always had water pots around for the washing of their hands and feet. But in this, in what Jesus is saying here to the disciples is that when a person has already taken a bath, the only thing that needs to be clean when they arrive someplace is their feet because it, they got dirty walking there in that day with the sandals on. But as I've already stated, that word babe that Jesus used there is a word that is used to describe the washing of a dead person or the cleansing out of a wound, so a wounded person. When a person comes to Jesus by faith and they receive the gift of God's grace, they are born again of the Spirit. What, ha what happens is the blood of Jesus washes away their sin. Now, this is obviously not, not something that physically takes place, but it takes place spiritually within the heart of a person. But after we are born again, guess what? We still need to walk around in this world, don't we? I I'm still in this world. Jesus says that we're in the world, but we're just not to be of the world. But we do walk around in this world. Therefore, we have the ability to get some dirt on us, don't we, in a spiritual sense. You see, sin runs rampant in the world, and we will stumble upon dirty things many times in our lives. And as I've stated earlier, we are all susceptible to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, every one of us. But there is a difference between stumbling upon sin and habitually sinning. In other words, you know, you can you can stumble upon sin, but or you can practice sin. If you go out and let me give you an analogy here, but if, if you go out and you walk through a park, 
And uh, let's just say that you accidentally step in Fido's business. You know, that's one thing. You just went out and you accidentally stepped in it. But if Fido does the same thing in the same spot every day and you go out every day to that same spot and you step in Fido's business, then you've got a problem. (laughs) So Peter here in this chapter, he realized what it meant to have true fellowship with God. Fellowship with God comes only by the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And we all need that. Because like I said, like the song says, what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But Peter realizes that he wants all that Jesus has. He wants part with him. He says, so Lord, not my, not, not only my feet, but also my hands and, and my head. And think about that, you know, our hands can, can, can get into so much ugliness. And our mind, our heads, we can think so many other thoughts. And we need Jesus. We need his blood to cleanse every part of us. And like we studied on the last study, we need to stay focused on him. Stay in his word. Otherwise, we stumble around in darkness. You see, it says in the Psalms, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Think about that. It's like strapping a a flashlight on your feet and then going out and walking in that park in the dark. You can see every step. That's what the word of God does. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And when Peter says, Lord, not not my feet only, but also my hands, he's expressing his desire to just commit everything to Jesus. So in verse 10, Jesus expresses to Peter that his wounds are washed and cleansed. But you know, Jesus says also here, that's not the case for everyone at the table. Because also sitting at the table with them was the one that the devil had filled his heart. Verse 11 says, For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? In other words, Jesus says, Do you understand what just happened? And he's going to go on now and explain to them the spiritual implications of what he has just done. And he says in verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You see, Jesus was um, instituting something here, but he was not instituting a foot washing ceremony. In teaching the disciples, Jesus was giving them a spiritual application, not religious requirements. You know, with that in mind, let's turn to uh, John chapter 6.
John chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 53 through 63. Okay, John chapter 6, starting in verse 53. It says, So Jesus said again, I I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is the true food, and my blood is the true drink, and all who eat my flesh and drink my blood remain in me, and I in them. I live by the power of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, those who partake of me will live because of me. I am the true bread from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever and not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue synagogue in Capernaum. Even his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus knew within himself that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, Does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see me, the Son of Man, return to heaven again? It is the Spirit who gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So you see, this is another example of Jesus speaking in a spiritual sense to the people and his disciples. He could not have possibly expected that they would literally eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to be saved. There wouldn't have been enough of Jesus to go around if that was the case. They would quickly run out after only a few people having partake partook, excuse me. But there in verse 63 lies the answer. It is the Spirit who gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Religion needs to hear that. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you, Jesus says, are spirit and life. Religious services accomplish nothing. It's not about what you do. It's about Jesus. He came and he showed the disciples how they should live, how they should love. The attempts of men and women to be good enough for God will always fall short. It is the Spirit who gives eternal life. And when we when we have Christ in us and we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we, we have that desire to step out and to, to show somebody agape love, unconditional love, expecting nothing in return, that's what Jesus requires of us. So back in John chapter 13, Jesus was not instituting a new religious ceremony of foot washing. He was instead giving the disciples an example of serving others. And in verse 17, Jesus told them that in so doing, they would be blessed. The Apostle Paul 
when he was uh, speaking to the elders of the church in Ephesus in the book of Acts, he said to them that they should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, that was Jesus. That was his way. And if we claim to be born again with Christ in us by his Holy Spirit, then it should be our way as well. And that's what Jesus was teaching the disciples here in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. Serve others. Do as I have done unto you. Verse 18 of chapter 13. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now, those words there, lifted his heel against me, literally mean has given me a great fall or has taken cruel advantage of me. And to the Eastern idea of hospitality, for for one who eats bread with you to lift up his heel against you was a tremendous betrayal, as it is to any of us. If you've ever been betrayed by a friend, you'll understand this feeling. Jesus came to the world. He loved people. He healed people. And for 30 pieces of silver, Judas betrayed him. Verse 19, now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. You see, Jesus was constantly showing his divinity to his disciples and to the people that were around him. Here he he foretold of the betrayal of Judas so that they would understand that he was from God when it actually happened. And his sole purpose for coming to the world was so that people could believe in him and have eternal life. He came to redeem us. And you and I today, we have the written word of God so that we can know these things and we can believe in Jesus and we can have eternal life. Now, we've gone through a lot of scriptures here. I'm going to stop for now and we'll pick it up in verse 20 the next time we're together. Once again, I exhort you, fix your eyes on Jesus. Trust only in him. Look unto him. He desires that you would know him, that you would walk with him. He desires, he he stands at the door of your heart. Revelation 3.20, he stands at the door and knocks. And he says, if anyone will open, just open the door. Let him in. He'll come in. And he'll, he'll, he'll dine with you. He loves you. You are loved by God. Know that. Thanks again for listening. God bless. We'll see you next time.